I want you to open your Bible this morning to the Gospel of John. Great, great chapter. Chapter 6. And the first 14 verses are very, very familiar to all of us here today. I've read them many times. Preached on this before. But God gave me a new insight this week. That if you're not careful, you'd overlook it. We'd be so enamored by the fact that Jesus fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. We'd say, man, what a miracle. And it is, and it is, and it was awesome. But yet there's a lot more to the story, a lot more to the story. You know, the feeding of the 5,000 was the most public miracle that Jesus did. There was a fairly good-sized crowd when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And there were other crowds when he performed healings. But, I mean, this was a miracle experienced by at least 5,000 men. And so it was perhaps his most public miracle. But the next thing I noticed about it was this. That all four Gospels have it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a vivid account of the feeding of the 5,000. I think there are three reasons for this miracle. You know, that there's never a miracle just for miracle's sake. It always has a purpose. And I think there were three distinct purposes that Jesus performed this miracle. One, the need. There were a lot of hungry people. Counting the women and children, it could have been as many as 15,000. And they had followed Jesus on impulse and probably had not had any, I don't know how much they'd had to eat, but I know one thing. Jesus was confronted with the reality that they were hungry, and so he asked, how how are we going to feed these people? So the purpose of the miracle was, one, to meet the need of some hungry people, but let them experience a personal miracle from the hand of the Son of God. But there was another reason for this miracle, and very, very significant. It was to testify again that this is truly the Son of God. You know, there are ten signs in the Gospel of John. Ten I am's, you could call it, or ten miracles also that Jesus performed. And and, and no book had more. And and, and John just testifies that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of faith and truth. Every miracle was saying to the multitudes, this is God manifest in the flesh. This is the promised Messiah. This is the seed of the woman the son of David. So it was just again testifying that Jesus is the Christ. So to meet the needs of the people, to testify that Jesus Christ is not just another way, he is the way, and he's just not another God, he is the God. But here's the third one. He was testing the disciples. I'd never noticed that he had said, after he asked Philip, 
How are we going to feed all these people? He said, and the writer said, it wasn't that Jesus knew what he was going to do. But now get this. He was testing Philip to see what Philip's response would be. Now that's, that's very interesting to me. Let's begin reading in the first verse. And j- just look uh, of John 6. And just look at uh, some series of accounts here. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him. Now, why was he drawing such a crowd? He always drew crowds, but this was a great multitude that followed him. Listen why. Because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. They had just witnessed Jesus, them and the disciples, obviously obviously do many signs and wonders and heal many people. And they were just overwhelmed by what Jesus had done. And they just followed him on impulse, just followed him. Because they'd seen the signs that he'd performed on those who were diseased. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming toward him. By the way, they were making their way up a mountain. It says, and Jesus uh, went up on the mountain. I, I mean, they, they were serious about getting to Jesus. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward them, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that we may eat, that these may eat? Philip, where are we going? What, what, what store are we going to go to? I mean, where are we going to uh, buy some food for these people? Where are we going to do it? But now listen at this. But this he said to test him. You know, he was testing Philip to see what he would say. You know, God does allow us to be tested. He'll test us to see how strong our faith is. He'll, he'll test us to reveal to us whether our faith is shallow or it's secure and it can weather the storms. This he said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Well, Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them would have a little. Lord, you know, you just you got to realize how much money it would take to feed this crowd. It's just going to take so much. And now, first of all, I don't know where they're going to buy that much bread anyway. Reminds me of that time we went on that retreat to uh, Mississippi, and we all got a craving for bluebell ice cream. And we bought all the bluebell ice cream in Gulfport, Mississippi. Well, I, I was fun. Anyway, let me go. That has nothing to do with this. He said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes, or two fish. What are they among so many? Obviously, Philip had, Philip missed it. He failed the test. 
And obviously, Andrew failed the test. Their answer was not correct. It wasn't correct. But Jesus goes on and says, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, the number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when given given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish. Now listen to this. As much as they wanted. You know, I doubt that in that crowd that many of those people had never had enough to eat. I guarantee you most of them had enough to get by for the day. But here it said that Jesus not only gave them something to eat, but he gave them as much as they wanted. It wasn't a meager miracle. Jesus didn't panic and say to the disciples, now be careful how much each person gets because we can't afford to give out. They got as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing is lost. Gather it all up. And boy, there was a real purpose for this. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragment, fragments of five barley loaves, which are left over by those who had eaten. You know what I love about that? Every disciple was holding a miracle in his hand. See, they failed the test. Well, where are we going to get bread to feed this many people? Philip didn't have a clue. And Andrew didn't have a clue. So Jesus went right ahead. But when it was over, all 12 disciples looked and said, What an amazing miracle. 5,000 men with five loaves. They all were holding a miracle in their hand. Man, what faith it should have excited in their heart and in their spirit as they looked at this. And, and it says that was left over. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, as I mentioned, there were three lessons in this miracle. We're going to dwell mainly on one of them. Of course, it was the meeting of the needs of the people, testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. But it was all about the test that Jesus gave them. You see, this, this just wasn't a fly-by-night thing with Jesus. I mean, he wasn't just giving Philip a test to be giving him a test. And God never does that, by the way. When you go through a trial, or when God allows you to go through a trial, or he causes you to go through a trial, you've got to remember one thing. It's not a game. It's not flippant. It's not that God doesn't know what's going on. It has a purpose. Do you listen to me? It has a purpose. It has a purpose. And so, what would have been the correct answer? Jesus said, where where are we going to get enough money to buy bread for this multitude? Well, what would have been the right answer? Philip didn't give the right answer. Andrew said, well, there's a lad here has got five loaves and two fish. You know what the right answer should have been? Listen to me. Jesus, listen. 
It's humanly impossible to feed these 5,000. It's humanly impossible. There's no way it can be done. But two days ago, we saw the blind see. And we saw the lame walk. And we saw the deaf hear. And I'll just tell you, Jesus, if, if the blind could see and the lame could walk and the deaf could hear, I believe you could uh, work another miracle. And I, I believe that whatever you needed to do to feed these people, you could do it. You see, they missed it. I mean, they'd just been in the presence of Jesus who had performed awesome miracles. And now here was another impossible situation that the only answer was Jesus. The only answer was Jesus. But they started looking at it purely from a human point of view. Five thousand, five loaves, two fishes. No way. No way. Not enough money to buy enough bread. Man, all, all they needed to say was Jesus. Listen, we know this is humanly impossible but you are present. And Jesus, when you are present, you make the difference. Do you understand? In my life and in yours, it is the presence of Jesus that makes the difference. Hey, we all are going to be facing the 5,000. Oh, yes, that which is humanly impossible to us. Time after time, we're going to be confronted where we're going to say, Lord, I don't know how that's, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work out. Lord, I'll tell you one thing. I, I mean, I don't have the answer. And I'm just telling you, Lord, as far as I'm concerned, it's humanly impossible. But then that's, you don't stop there. But Jesus, you know, it is your presence that makes the difference. It is your presence. You don't, don't, don't get so uh, caught up in the size of the crowd or the size of the circumstance, or the size of the trial, that you forget Jesus makes a difference. And did he make the difference? Each disciple held a basket, of, 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 held a miracle in their own hands. And so what I think God is saying for us, that when we face the 5,000, when we face the impossible, when we face the things that, that we just, they're bigger than we are, and we don't have a human answer, we've got to remember and it's called faith that Jesus makes the difference. You know, Jesus often confronts us with the impossible. Jesus often allows us or puts us in a position to where we will go through a trial. And we'll get in that trial, and we say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, 5,000 is too many for me. You see, we've got to understand that Jesus was testing, are you listening? He was testing the faith of Philip. He was testing the faith of Andrew. He knew what he was going to do. But he wanted them to say, oh, we're not concerned about this situation, Lord. We know it looks humanly impossible. We know that, but we're not concerned about it. Because you're here. And if you're here, that's all that's necessary. Glory to God, that's all that's necessary if Jesus is here. You know, the Bible talks about the blessings of trials. Uh, the blessings of being confronted with the impossible. 
to show us our faith? I, I never have really liked this verse. But it doesn't matter whether I like it or not because it's in the Bible. Amen? Over in James, it says, <laughs> boy, I, I said, Lord, you, 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 you're stretching me a little bit. Listen, what it says in James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> you're right in the midst of the trial and saying, hallelujah, I'm in another trial. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm so joyful. I'm going through another trial. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith. I'll say one thing. I welcome God to test my faith because I want to know if it's real, if it's genuine, or if it's shallow. And the cares of the world can shake it out, choke it out. One of the greatest things God can do for you is to test your faith. So that you won't be resting in a false faith or a shallow faith or a fair weather faith. A faith that is strong when everything is good. Oh, it's, it's, it's so precious for God to test our faith. But it says, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work. You say, well, Lord, I've been in this trial 24 hours. It ought to be over. He said, no, you just keep trusting me. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. He said, the purpose of this trial is to grow you up and for you to be mature in Christ so that your faith will be obvious to those who see it. This he did to test Philip. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves us enough that he'll let us go through the trial to test the genuineness and the depth and the reality of our faith. There's another passage that is just as strong. In Romans chapter 5, I want you to listen to this. Paul is talking about, man, that they, the, the blessing of them being justified by faith and then he says this. Now hear, hear it. He says, therefore, I'm talking about Jesus often puts us in the impossible situations and lets us go through the trial so that our faith will be tested to be proved to be genuine. And so in verse chapter 5 of Romans, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Man, what, what an awesome verse. Our faith, we're justified by believing and trusting in and clinging to the finished work of Jesus. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we're standing in the grace, the grace of God. We're standing in the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, now get this, <laughs> we glory in tribulation. I mean, Twice, James said, we counted all joy. And now Paul says, I mean, Ben, we've been justified by faith. The blood of Christ has cleansed us and we have the sufficiency of Jesus and, 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 and we're justified and we have faith and we stand in the grace of God. And I'll tell you another thing we do, we glory when we go through the fire. Whew. 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Well, why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Holding on, not giving up, not quitting, not turning back. Knowing that tribulation uh, produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. It, it, it chips away from us everything that's not like Jesus. It, it causes us have to, to have the very character of Christ. It says, and, and patience, perseverance produces character. And then character, listen to this, when you've gone through the trial, it gives you hope. It gives you hope. Man, it, you, you're stronger. You're stronger. And the next time the wind blows and the next time you're confronted with a mountain, you, you, you don't go into it with despair. But I've been through that before. And Jesus made the difference. Jesus made the difference. He always makes the difference. And it produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, you probably experience the love of God more in the depth of a trial than you do any other time. It's like God extravagantly pours out his love upon you. Twice he said glory in your trials. And here's the one that I challenges me the most. In the book of 1 Peter, I want you to listen to this. It says that God tests our faith to see that it's genuine. It's like gold tried in the fire. In 1 Peter 1, verse 5, it says, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God keeps us. Listen, salvation is not us holding on to God and saying, I'm going to hold on. Praise God, when you get saved, it's not you holding on to God. It's God holding on to you. And we are kept, hallelujah, by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen to this. In this you greatly rejoice, the security you have in Christ. You rejoice in the security that's in Jesus. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. You rejoice in the hope of salvation in Christ. And, 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 and right now, you, it's, it's, it's sustaining you, even though you're being grieved by various trials. Now, what's the purpose? Are you listening? That the genuineness of your faith Hey, listen, we ought to welcome trials. You know why? It'll let you know if you really trust Jesus. <laughs> It'll let you know if you're really founded, your feet are standing on the rock. Oh, listen, nothing could be better than for God to put our faith to the test so that we'll not be like those in the last day who said, Lord, I, I, I thought I knew you, but I didn't know you. And Jesus said, I never, no, hey. We, we, we don't need to wait until our deathbed for our faith to be tested. We need for it to be tested many times so we will know that it's real. And then we can testify to others. I know you're going through the fire, but I'm going to tell you when Jesus is present, he makes the difference in the fire. I know you're going through deep waters, but when Jesus is present, he makes a difference. See, you know, we won't have a testimony without having a trial. Huh. You don't have a testimony until you've gone through the trial. 
it says here, and then in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you're grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, he said, God's letting you go through this, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, you go through the trial and your faith is tested like gold that perishes and all that comes out is pure gold and it gives honor and glory and praise to the Lord Jesus whom having not seen you love and though you do not now see him yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your soul. So you got to understand that part of that miracle was to meet the needs of those people and to show that Jesus was a son of God, but it was also to test Philip's faith and Andrew's faith and the faith of those 12 disciples. And that's why when it was all over, Jesus had every one of them hold a miracle in their hands, 12 baskets full, so they would know the reality of the Lord Jesus and would be sure that their faith, their faith is in him. You say, well, Brother Fred, I'm just going to go out of here today and ask God to put me through a trial. Look at me. You don't have to ask him. He's going to do it anyway. (laughs) You don't have to worry about it, okay? I can assure you, you're either in one or coming out of one. But now let me me just say this. And the Lord led me strongly to to go this direction for a moment. You've got to have discernment about trials. What you're going through. You've got to have discernment. One of the gifts of the Spirit is discerning of spirits. And so you got, you won't, we know that God is testing our faith, but you've got to have discernment about the trial that you're going through. Now, got to hear this. Some of our trials of our own, are, are of our own making. You can create your own trial, and that's not God. God allowed it, but you can create it. You know what that is? Many of us make wrong choices. We're tempted. We're drawn away by our own lust. And lust conceives and brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I've talked to countless thousands of people over these 50 years in the ministry. And they were in the midst of the fire, but they built their own fire. They created the trial because of their sinfulness, because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, because they forgot that what they sowed, they were going to reap. Now, well, what do you do in a situation like that, Pastor? Tell you what you do. You lead that person to repent and to confess that sin and to thank God for the blood of Jesus and receive the grace of God and receive forgiveness and be restored. And then God will bring them out of that. Because let me tell you something. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. If you're his child, he corrects you. If you're without correction, you're illegitimate, Hebrews 13 says. So there are people who create their own trials by the sin in their life, and then they want to blame God. No, they've made wrong choices. They were drawn away by their own desire. But 
praise God. That's what the blood of Christ is all about. That's what the grace of God is all about. That's what the cross is all about. That when you do make wrong choices and when you do sin and when God convicts you and breaks your heart and you have repentance, you confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've created your own trial, you just remember, go back to where you created it and repent and get it right with God and let God clear it up. Amen? You may be, some of you may be in a trial because you created it. You just flat disobeyed God. We've all been there. Well, God, why am I going through this? Well, you know why. Look, what you, look, look at the choice you made. Well, Lord, I repent. He said, okay, we'll clear that up. You don't have to stay in that. You can come out of that. But now, let me just say this. Many times, listen to me, many times, as far as you know, you're right with God. As far as you know, there's no unconfessed sin in your life. As far as you know, there's no rebellion in your heart toward God. And if there is, God would show you. God's more concerned about you knowing it than you are. You don't have to keep a searchlight looking inside, well, there's something wrong. When you're going through a trial, if, if you have the assurance, hey, I, I know I'm not living in sin I'm not practicing sin. I'm not in rebellion. My heart is to please God, and I know that, but yet I'm going through this. I am going through this. Then you know what God's up to. He's just going to prove your faith. He's going to strengthen your faith. He's going to test your faith. He's going to make it stronger. But let me just say this. The thing I love about uh, this miracle is this. that We sang it earlier. In, in his presence or the presence of the Lord. You've got to remember this. If you're God's child, if you're his child, Jesus is always present with you. You never go through anything alone. And let me tell you something. When you know you're saved, when you know that you're a child of God, when you know you're uh, a member of God's family, then the, the, the very presence of Jesus gives you assurance and confidence as you go through the trial because Jesus makes the difference. It is his presence. How many times have we talked about the presence of Jesus in our life? I, I just love the verses. Galatians 2.20. You see, I'm telling you, it's not you as a Christian down here and Jesus up there. I know you know that, but I need to remind you because sometimes we think, well, Lord, I'm down here struggling, and what are you doing, Jesus? He said, you're looking in the wrong place. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but say it with me. Christ lives in me. What part of that do I not understand? Jesus makes the difference. Jesus said, how are we going to feed these 5,000? Andrew should have said, it doesn't matter, Lord, you're here, and you make the difference. It's taken care of, Lord, because you're here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of God's glory. Man, I don't ever face a trial alone. I don't ever go through one alone. See, it's the presence of Jesus that makes the difference. I love that verse in Colossians 3 where it says, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our 
life appears. Not who will be our life, but when Christ who is our life appears. I love what Paul said when he was trying to make a decision. He said, I'm desiring to do this or that. He said, but I'm going to say one thing. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ to live through me. And to die is gain. In the trial, if all I did was look at the multitude, the 5,000, I would get discouraged, disappointed. But the moment I got my eyes off the crowd and remembered that Jesus was present, that's when everything changes. So whatever your trial might be, it is the presence of Jesus in you. That makes the difference. Christ lives in us. I love what he said in Hebrews. Beware of covetousness. Be content with what you have. For I have said I will never leave you. Hebrews, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Goes on down in verse 8 of chapter 13 and says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I look back on my life and it has been one trial after another. But you know what? Have I always responded right? No. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm standing here because Jesus makes the difference. No matter what you go through, no matter what you encounter, no no matter how big the multitude, 5,000 men, I'm just telling you, it is Christ in you. If you'll just look to him, if you'll just trust him, if you'll talk to him, if you'll listen to him, He will make the difference, and you'll come out of that trial with a much stronger faith and a much stronger character in greater Christ-likeness. Boy, there's a a verse over in in Peter chapter 5, and buddy, this is exactly right, and I've found this to be true. It says, but may the God, this is uh, 1 Peter 5, 10, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. Now listen at this. May the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Wow. He said when you come through, God will perfect you and establish you and strengthen you and settle you. Now, I want to close by asking you this. What's the multitude you're facing right now? And Jesus is asking you, well, how are we going to, how are we going to handle this situation? How are you going to handle this situation? Are you going to say, well, Lord, I'll tell you, I can't. It's humanly impossible, but you're here. You're in my life. You're in me, Jesus, and you make the difference. I want to ask you something. Are you right in the middle of a trial concerning uh, your marriage? Why do people just give up? You say, I'm a child of God, but there's no hope for my marriage. How can that be? You're just being tested. You're just being tested. Is your faith genuine? Can you believe God to change you? Can you believe God to change him? Can you believe God? Does Jesus work everywhere but in a marriage? 
Maybe it's a, a child. Lady walked in today. Said, you've got to pray for my daughter. She is in a serious situation. And there are plenty of you across this building. If you were just honest, you've got children that are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. Making wrong choices, headed down a wrong road, and you know it. Well, let me ask you a question. Well, is Jesus not present in the trial that you're having with your children? Is he not there? Can you not cry out to him and see him do it? I mean, is he not? I mean, Jesus said, well, what are you going to do in this situation with the daughter or son that's out of control? You say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Jesus. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to pray to you, and I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to claim your promises, and I'm going to see your glory. See, you've got to remember it's the presence of Jesus. When you face the impossible or when you don't know what to do, it makes a difference. It could be that you're going through grief. So many of our people have had husbands and wives to pass on in recent in a year. I could just start naming them and, and, and the heartache and the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty. And I, 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 cannot, I, I cannot walk exactly where you are. I've not lost my wife or anything, but, but, but I, I did, you know, I've lost parents. But it's another thing when there's a spouse. And, 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 but you've got to understand that, that, that your, your faith is going through a trial right now. But you're not going through it alone. And you just need to say, Jesus, your grace is sufficient. So what you've got to do when you face the multitude? And Jesus said, well, what are we going to do about that? You said, well, Jesus, you're present and you make the difference. There's some of you who need a job. I know one person that's been looking for a job a year. I believe they've tried. I do. I believe. But no answers come yet. And some of you are saying, well, what, where, where am I? Hey, listen. Is God not bigger than unemployment? Is Jesus not, does he not make the difference in situations like that? You see, it's the presence of Jesus that changes everything. It could be your health issues. I, I really learned how to go through trials with my health with two open heart surgeries in 12 months. I thought I knew how to trust God. <laughs> I got so low one night, I was wondering if I saved or not. <laughs> oh, you say, Brother Fred, you're more spiritual than that. I may have been out of my mind, but I'll tell you one thing. Boy, I'd never experienced anything like that. But all I did was I just confessed that I knew who Jesus was and that I'd done what he had done. And I was secure in him. And, and I came through. I, praise God, I passed the test. I wouldn't be here. But anyway, I did. It could be your health. So the doctor gives a bad report. So what do you do? You thank God for doctors. You ask God to use them. But I'll tell you what you better do. You better say, Jesus, you are in my life. And in this situation, you make the difference. Amen? You make the difference. Could be that you need direction in your life. Well, where do I go from here, Pastor? Hey, Jesus lives in you. He said, I will. He said, through the word of God, I'll instruct you and I'll teach you. And the way you should go, I will guide you with my eye. Oh, he will. What do you think he's there for? You think you're making decisions alone? I'm really praying about a decision that I need to make right now concerning our church. I'm really praying about it. And I don't want to be too hasty in my decision. And, and so I'm just praying, God, 
you, you, you're present, Jesus, and I can hear from you. I can, and I've got to hear from you. I've got to know, and I have. And so you pray for me that I'll know. It's important. But Jesus is present in my life, and he will make the difference. What's God's will? The last thing is, some of you are just overwhelmed with the temptation. And it's, you just don't understand why that you're being tempted in such a strong way in that area of your life. Why you're being, there's an attempt to draw you away into your own desires. And you're encountering a real temptation. Let me just say this to you. Don't keep your eyes on the 5,000. Keep your eyes on Jesus and admit to him, God, you know I'm struggling here. And you know my flesh is strong. But Lord, you are in my life and you're going to make the difference. And I can't overcome this, but by your power, I can overcome this. And so you look to Jesus right in the midst of that temptation. He said, but Brother Fred, he's upset with me because I'm being tempted. No, he's not. He was tempted. He just wants you to look to him and let him make the difference in that temptation. The purpose of this message is this. Whatever your situation is, if you're a child of God, don't look at the 5,000. Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you make the difference. As long as I got you, and I'll have you for eternity, you didn't save me to leave me. As long as, long as you're in me, Jesus, you make the difference. And I'll come through on the other side. Because you're present in my life.